Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we continue our study of Romans this morning, I just pray that you would open up your truth of this wonderful book to us, that we would take your truth and embrace it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week's sermon was titled, God Has a Plan. And in that sermon, I used our verses 25 through 27 to point out that we are living in the plan of God right now as we speak. The 25th verse of Romans 11 reads, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Paul in these verses lays out the future of Israel. In present, the majority of Israel lives in blindness. Just as Paul described it in verse 25 when he said, Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And as I mentioned in last week's sermon, and it bears repeating, one cannot deny history. Since the first century, the Gentile people embraced Jehovah God. You might could say if it was a fluke when Paul wrote these words, if this movement would have passed away in the first century, that if it would have died out in the first century. But that's not what's happened. And in fact, century after century, we have seen Gentiles embrace a God that was formerly limited to the Hebrew people. Just as it was written in the 25th verse of Romans 11, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. All across the globe, people have embraced a God that was formerly limited to the Hebrews. However, this time isn't forever. It says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And as I preached last week, that fullness is both in number and in time. We are currently living in the church age, the age of the Gentiles. And we have been witnessing the age of the Gentiles for the last 2,000 years. It was formerly with the Hebrews. Then it went to the Gentiles. Then it will go back to the Hebrews. And as I mentioned last week, John Stott in his commentary refers to this as the chain of blessing. Hebrews, Gentiles, Hebrews, 
and then all of us. Paul summarizes God's plan in our focal passage today as we progress to verses 28 through 32. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the 11th chapter of Romans as we look at verses 28 through 32. It reads, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now become disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Well, let's first start off with a question. Who is Paul referring to in verse 28 when he said, they... They are enemies for your sake. If you go to verse 11, which we've previously studied, it tells you. Paul wrote in verse 11 of chapter 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more fullness? In other words, it's the Hebrew people. It's the Israelites. The Israelites are enemies for your sake. You notice that it doesn't say enemies that we look at the Hebrews as enemies. But they are at enmity with God because they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Which stands to reason because the Bible says that the natural man is at enmity with God. They are enemies for your sake. They are enemies so that we might have the gospel given to us. It's that transition in the chain of blessing. God first revealed himself to the Israelites. And then post-cross, he's now being revealed to us, the Gentiles. They are enemies for your sake. But not only are they enemies, they're also the elect. Look at verse 28 again, at the second part, where it says, Concerning the election, they are beloved... For the sake of the fathers. Turn back to Romans 9.3. As Paul expresses his desire that Israel would return to Jehovah God. He says in verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Now, the important part of those particular verses that I read, 
is a couple of words there. The covenant. In fact, it's several words. The covenant, the promises, and the fathers. Just as Paul summarizes in our focal passage today. That they are the elect, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the sake of the fathers. In other words, there's a covenant relationship, isn't there? God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham. He renewed that covenant relationship with his descendants. There's a promise. There's a word given. And that word is according to the plan of God. So on one hand, you have the word enemy. On the other hand, you have the word elect. And how do you reconcile the two? Going from enemy to elect. And I will tell you that the way that you reconcile that is that you have to rest in the eternal plan of God. You have to rest in the eternal plan of God. I'm sure that when you were a child, you had some idea at that particular time of the occupation that you wanted to do when you grew up. However, I would venture to say that most of us as children change our mind, don't we? If that wasn't the case, we would have an overabundance of policemen, firemen, and pilots. That's what most boys want to do, don't they? They want to be a policeman, fireman, or a pilot. And thank God there are policemen, firemen, and pilots. We just don't need every male to be a policeman, a fireman, or a pilot. We can all agree that we had some type of occupation that we wanted to do, that we admired, that we looked up to, that we thought would be great fun. And, and that changes, doesn't it? It changes over time. Multiple occupations as we progress in our maturity. But we change those. Kids are fickle. They're fickle. Adults are too. Our plans can change at any time. You still see that with humanity in general. That someone will decide, I'm going to do such and such. I'm going to move to this city. I'm going to do this for an occupation. I'm going to start this business. I'm going to live in this house. I'm going to do whatever. And a lot of those plans never reach fulfillment because those plans have been changed. Humanity is fickle. God is not. Which leads us to our next verse in Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Let me read that again. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Let me say as a side note that this is one of the most misused verses found in all Scripture. I have seen this misused horribly by pastors. I remember one time 
knowing about a pastor who was in horrible sexual sin and the church was ready to dismiss him. And this is the verse that he stood on. Totally out of context. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, what he was saying is, is you can't fire me because God has called me. That's why it's so important to read the verses of the Bible in context. What is the writer saying in context with the other verses that he has just written? Well, what was Paul talking about? He was talking about the Hebrews. He was talking about the Hebrews moving from being an enemy to being the elect to being in the chain of blessing according to God's plan. That's what this verse means. It doesn't mean that a pastor has eternal job security at his particular church. That's ridiculous. The verse is taken totally out of context. What this verse means is is that God has a plan and unlike humanity... That plan does not change. It doesn't vary. God's not fickle. So let's combine the last part of 28 with 29. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Back again to that covenant promise. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now. I want to add a little bit more color to those verses by looking at those verses in the King James Version. Because they use a different word for irrevocable. 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes, for the gifts and calling of God are Without repentance. The calling of God are without repentance. It's used again in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Not to be repented of. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his sermon on these verses, brings out that in both instances, Romans 9, verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. That translates into regret. In other words, if you look at it in that context, for the gifts and calling of God are without regret. The gifts and calling of God are without regret. In other words, God doesn't change his plans. He doesn't change his mind. And there's no regret because everything is a going according to the plan of God because he's perfect he's perfect 
That's not our human experience and plans, is it? You ever plan to go on a vacation and you were looking forward to it and you thought, oh man, this is going to be the best thing in the world. We're going to have the best time. And then you go to the particular locale and you don't really care for it. And you got regret. Or we go to a restaurant thinking it's going to have the most wonderful food and we look for it with anticipation and then we leave and it's like, eh, not so much. Our plans have regret, but not God's plan. He doesn't have regret for the gifts and the calling of God are without regret. And I think there's so much meaning in what Paul is conveying here about who God is in the light of us. Because what it's saying here is, is that in spite of our life, and when you look at the Hebrew people, in spite of them denying Christ, in spite of them denying Christ, he does not have regret because they were blinded They were blinded, but one day we will see the Israelites turn and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And the exciting thing about that is, is right now we are living in it. Think about that. Every church across the globe that is meeting on this Lord's Day is a living testimony that we are living in the church age, that we are living in the time of the Gentiles, just as it was prophesied both in the Old Testament and just as Paul was prophesying about that in the New Testament. That there would be a time of the Gentiles and we can see it. We're living in it. We're a testimony to it. And just as our time right now is a testimony to the power of God post-cross and resurrection. We can look forward to the time when the Hebrew people will turn. And accept the Lord Jesus Christ. You may say, well, my goodness, that's going to be quite dramatic. Well, it was quite dramatic when we as Gentiles who were in darkness and who loved darkness and who loved sin and who worshipped idolatry turned to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. It is clear evidence of his power. But not only is it evidence of his power. But it is also evidence of his plan. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God is a God of his word, both in contract, in contract, in covenant, and in action. Let's turn to my favorite chapter in the entire Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. 
regarding his word. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, he elected us. He elected the Hebrews that would recognize him as savior of the world. He elected us before time began. The Bible says that our name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Before time began, we were elected. Just as we have an election in this country coming up in November, and you and I will go into a polling booth and we will elect somebody. What does that mean? We pick. We pick. He picked us before time began. He picked the Hebrew people that would accept him as Savior and Lord. He picked them before the beginning of time. Just as he picked Abraham, he picked the people that would turn to him. He is a God of his word. But not only that, but he's also a God of his word through action. Through action. And what I mean by that is, is that it says that we are called. Look back at our focal verse, verse 29. For the gifts in the, what? Calling. For the gifts in the calling of God are irrevocable. Apply that to your own experience. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Before the beginning of time. But somewhere, at some particular point in time, you felt a call. You felt a call. For me, it was, as I've shared before, it was in 1976. I felt a call. I'd been brought up in church. Mom and Dad saw to it that we went to church. By that particular point, I'd gone to church. I'd gone to vacation Bible school. I'd gone to Sunday school. I'd gone to Wednesday night service. But there was a week in which I felt the convicting call of the Lord Jesus Christ. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. But yet I encountered a call. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've encountered that call as well. The gifts in the calling of God are irrevocable. We are picked and then the action of the Holy Spirit convicts us to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it throughout the Bible. Hebrews 3 Verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Partakers of the heavenly calling. That's our commonality here, isn't it? As brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a commonality. We've been called. May have happened at different times. Some of us were children. Some of us were teenagers. Some of us were adults. Some of us, according to the moral standing of the community were, quote, okay people. Some of us were horrible people. But our commonality is that we're called. Romans 8, verses that are all so familiar for us. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are, what, called 
To those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. There it is. There it is in verse 30 of Romans 8. You have the election of God and you have the calling of God right there together. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. My friends, Romans 8.30 is the plan of God for those who trust him. Those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has it from the election all the way till we stand before him in glory. It is his plan. It's his plan. Romans 1.7, to all who are in Rome, as Paul wrote our letter that we're studying this morning, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called, called to be saints. Why does he call us? Why does he call us? Does he see something in us? Do we have a little bit of righteousness? Do we have the intellect to figure it out? Do we have the logic to make sense of it? Do we have the morality to appreciate it? No. Jesus Christ said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Draws him. That's it. He calls us. He calls us. He doesn't call us because we're smart. He doesn't call us because we are moral. Before the foundation of the world, he doesn't look through the hallways of time and says, oh yeah, there's a person that picks me. That's what the Arminians believe. They say, well, God just knew who was going to pick him. That means that we have merit, right? That we have standing. That we have something to say about our own salvation. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have been elected. Well, why did he elect us? He tells us back in our focal passage. Turn back with me to Romans 11. Look at verse 30 as he deals with the Hebrews, but it's also important for us as well. It says, For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained what? Mercy. Mercy. Through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, referring to the Hebrews, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that He might have mercy on all. What's our commonality here between the Gentile and the Jew? Mercy. Mercy. What's our commonality here as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ? We've all been given mercy. In other words, it wasn't because of intellect. It wasn't because of morality. It wasn't because of righteousness. It wasn't because he looked through the halls of time and said, I'm going to pick people that picked me. He picked us not out of our will, not out of our desire, not out of our personality. He picked us out of mercy 
And if you will, turn back with me to Ephesians 1, verse 3, and we'll read through verse 6. As Paul writes the church at Ephesus, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And as I read verse 4 earlier, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And then he gives us the reason of why he chose us. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Why? According to the good pleasure of his will. Why did he pick us? Why are we elected? Why has the remnant been picked Why will we see all Israel, referring to the elect of Israel, why will we see them all embrace the Lord Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will? To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Why? He picked us because He wanted to. Now some people have a problem with that. They say, that's not fair, right? Do you really want what's fair? Do you really want what we should have coming to us from a holy and righteous God? I don't want what's fair. I'll accept mercy and grace every day. And I'll tell you, my personal opinion is that I think that one of the reasons why the churches across America have grown stale and dull is because we have forgotten that we come here not by grace, not by mercy, but the church has started convincing themselves that we're here because we're good people. We made the right decision. We're better than all of these folks out here. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is, as we look at society, as we tear each other absolutely apart, the church looks at the lost world and somehow we think you're bad and we're good because we made the right decision. No, my friends, we're here not because we're good. We're here because God has exhibited his mercy to us. And if we would come together across this country and worship Christ because we've been the recipient of His mercy, we will exalt the name of Jesus, not ourselves, not our righteousness, not our good works, but we will exalt Christ because it's all centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If we'll focus on Christ, all of a sudden we won't look at the world as our enemy, but we will look at society and recognize that they desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ. They need Christ. And I think that you'll agree with me that in my life and in your life, there has never been a time that is so much in need of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's never been a time where the church doesn't need to stand up and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in His mercy and His grace. Join with me in prayer. 
Father, we just thank you for your word, and Lord, we praise you for your mercy. We praise you that in spite of ourselves, you chose us. That we stand here as redeemed, redeemed from our sin. That you unshackled us from the bondage of sin. And we stand here today knowing that we've been accepted in the Beloved. Lord, I pray for our nation. I pray, Lord, that there would be a revival. I pray, Lord, that we as a church, both locally and also universally, that we might not hide in the corner, but that we might stand and proclaim your truth to a lost and dying world because we know that there's no other way in which society can find peace and joy. Use us as vessels in your kingdom. I pray if there's someone listening that has never accepted you as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day. Today would be the day that they would ask forgiveness of their sins. Today would be the day that they embrace you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.